Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Uh, excited to be back with our interview podcast here. Uh, we're taping this on Sunday evening, the 29th of December. Uh, so you'll be getting this uh, early in the morning on the 30th. Uh, but before we get going with this week's guest, uh, we want to recognize our sponsor for this episode, COSAC Chiropractic, which is located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha, uh, which is just off 144th and Maple. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSAC Chiro, that's K O S A K C H I R O.com, or give them a call at 402 964 Be sure to tell Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi that a pen and a napkin sent you. Uh, if you would like, please. Don't like, just do it. Just follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Um, we try to have daily coaching tidbits on a pen and a napkin, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, if you're listening, you're on SoundCloud or you're on iTunes. If you're on iTunes, give us a five-star review, uh, rate and review, all of that fun stuff. The more folks we get, uh, the better we get it. We had our second or third international listener. Uh, third. Uh, I had one from Japan, one from Bangladesh. Uh, last week. So that was really awesome. So uh, if you got any questions, if you got any comments, if you got any suggestions, if you got something you want us to talk about here, email us at the pod. It is a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us and we will do our best to address it here in future pods. But hey, we are back uh, and we are back with a good coaching friend of mine. His name is Kirk Walker. He is the head coach at the College of St. Mary's here in Omaha. Coach Walker, how are you this fine Sunday evening? You know, I'm doing really good, Marty. First of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to talk hoops. I've enjoyed following you on Twitter and, and listening to your podcast. I think you've had a, a great group of people uh, sharing hoops from all different angles at this point, and, and I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity, and I'm looking forward to sharing some things. Well, well I am looking forward to it as well. We've, uh, Like with a lot of the folks that I've had on here, we've had a few of these conversations without technology in front of us, and now it's just we're recording all these other things that we've talked about at many other times here. So um, should be good. Should be good. Looking forward to it, Kirk. So um, per usual, you know, just for the folks that don't know anything about Kirk Walker, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, and your story as to how you ended up at the College of St. Mary's. Well, I, I grew up in the Sioux City area and, and went to Morningside College and, and played football and always thought I'd be a football coach, believe it or not, uh-huh. and had an opportunity to coach uh, basketball when I graduated and got my first teaching job at Lock Bronson, and I actually coached the six-player game for four years at oh, Lock Bronson. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Yes. Didn't realize, didn't realize I was that old, did you? Well, I knew you were old. I mean, don't get me <laughs> wrong. I know you're old. Uh, yeah. But, uh, so, you know, old... But I had a, a great great opportunity there and then uh, uh to start my coaching career and then had an opportunity to go back to Morningside as a part-time assistant for football and then thought that would be the path I took and then I um uh, decided to just move on and, and got a different teaching job at uh Galva Holstein and with that came girls basketball and I actually coached the first year of of the five player the 505 game uh 
when the whole state went to five on five. Was it and was so, it uh, was it tough to get into the gym with with people picketing out front and all that good <laughs> stuff? Because people, I mean, for those people that weren't in Iowa, they don't understand how intense that was and how traditional six on six was here in Iowa. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, it was a huge deal. Like they would they would sell out the auditorium, best mm-hmm. auditorium down in Des Moines, months in uh, advance. Yeah, months in advance, and I mean, it was it was always something that uh, was really. Uh, struck at the heart of a lot of the old school coaches in Iowa. I know that even even as late as the late nineties, there were some of those coaches that uh, were really pushing to go back to this this six player game, which was a for those people that don't know, it was a three on three half court game, and the the three defensive players on one side versus three offensive players, and those those six players never crossed half court, yep. and then. That the team that was on defense on one end had three offensive players on the other, and uh, the, the best thing was the, how good the referees were at passing the ball because once the ball went through the hoop, the underneath official would take it, throw a baseball pass to the guy running to half court, and he'd throw one to the center circle, and it was like a check um, when you inbounded the ball after a made basket, uh, it would go to half court, and you would like check it in like you would in a you know, just a pickup game. Yep. So it was, it was an interesting game with some interesting rules, but uh, I was really happy to see the state go to, to um, the five on five basketball. And, and I've been fortunate enough since to uh, coach some really good players and have some really good teams and was a Galva Holstein for eight years. And then was at Sioux city North for 10, uh, 10 years. And then uh, when I left Sioux city North, uh, I had an opportunity to go help Mike power, Briar cliff for a couple of years and then took a year off, uh, uh, had some cervical shoulder surgeries and, and things like that, and, and then uh, had an opportunity to go down to Nebraska-Omaha and be an assistant coach for four years. And then this job at College of St. Mary opened up last year, and, and this is my second year. And I feel really fortunate to be able to be a, a college basketball coach. I didn't know if that opportunity would ever come, but uh, it did, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, what was kind of your uh – you know, you had a really successful run there at Sioux City North. You won two state titles up there, right? Yeah. Yeah? And, and you coached some tremendous players. Um, you know, uh, Donaldson, who is now an, an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptor, Raptors, correct? Yes, she is. And her dad, her dad and I became really good friends. Uh, it started, he coached my daughter, uh, in fifth and sixth grade basketball, uh, she got on a team and he was the coach. And, and then, uh, he's a, he's a big, big time golfer and I love to play golf too. And so that kind of brought us together and he's one of my best friends now. And, and Brittany had an opportunity she, after she went to you and I to get involved, uh, in uh, some analytics she was, um, with the NBA and then got an opportunity to go to the Raptors, at, uh, in the analytics department. And then Nick nurse hired her last year. So yeah, as they say, uh, you know, it's not really the X's and O's, it's the Jenny's and Joe's. And fortunately I had a lot of really good Jenny's over the years for sure. Yeah. So, so you had this great run at North and then you decided to step away. And like you said, you had some, uh, some, not life-threatening health issues or anything like that, but you had to get some stuff taken care of and cleaned up. But, yep. you know, what? What uh, was it always a goal of yours to try and get into the college game? You know, I never really thought much about it. 
uh, you know, I just kind of, I was, I was geared toward that college football thing, you know, there mm-hmm. for a while. And I really enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, of course I had the best of both worlds doing that. I, you know, I'd show up at the practice field at four o'clock, be handed a practice plan and go. So I thought that hey, this is great, but the, the things that you have to do outside of that are a little more intensive, but, but yeah, I, you know, probably when I went to Sioux city and, and, you know, spent some time there after about five years at North, I started crossing my mind a little bit. I thought that if, you know, when Mike came back to Briarcliff and Jamie was at Morningside, and you're always thinking, like, those guys are really good coaches if they move on with the opportunity to be there with Morningside, be my alma mater and stuff like that. Um, so it, it did start to cross my mind. But then you get to a point where you just wonder if it's ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and being in Sioux City and obviously having two really good college programs right there, uh, you know, the opportunity presented itself when I decided to um, uh, stop coaching at North. And, it, it, you know, Mike was nice enough and, and good enough to hire me as an assistant and, and you know, kind of grew the love of what I wanted to do. And, and it really worked out well. And then when I went to UNO, um, Coach Lang, her brother, uh, again, I'm aging myself, but her brother actually played some AAU basketball with my son, Alex. Okay. And that's kind of how that relationship developed and, and things. So, uh, you know, it's, you got to know the, it's, it's got to happen at the right time. You know, the right people. And fortunately mm-hmm. for me, it, it did work that way. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what's kind of, you know, you, you spend a lot of time, uh, coaching high school ball, uh, you've been in college ball now for, uh, you know, 10 ish years. Um, you know, uh, this is why I teach history and not math. Um, but, uh, it's about eight actually, but eight, well, you know, round up, um, fives and tens. It's easier that way. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, what, you know, being a, a, a long-time high school coach and then you get into this college game, you know, what are some of the uh, the big differences between between the two games? Even though they're the same game, uh, there's a myriad of differences. Uh, what are some of the things that you've noticed? Well, I think I think the first thing is when you when you're coaching high school, you know, it's the it's the development of your feeder program, I think, number one. I think that's I, I was very, very fortunate when I was uh, everywhere I was, but especially at North. Um, a gentleman by the name of Bob Bestian was coaching middle school basketball um, for us. Because at, at the high schools in, in Sioux City at the time, there was no middle school basketball, formal middle school basketball program. So, you know, all the basketball was basically club stuff in the winter. Yeah. You know, for tournaments and things. And, and he, uh, his daughter played for him. And then she played for me as a freshman my uh, second year there. But she, you know, so he coached that group. And, you know, you get the feeder system and they know which kids are coming. And you, and you have an idea of what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then you can kind of play with that. Where at the college level, you know, you, you're, you're recruiting a new class every single year. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going out and you're getting like right now for us, you know, we're just kind of starting to really get into the 2021 class, which is this year's junior class. Yeah. Uh, because so many of those kids, if they're playing AAU basketball and they're playing travel ball and that kind of thing, you know, they're, they're still hoping for division two, II, division one scholarships. So a lot of those, those players um, are still holding out hope there. And, and you get into the, 
the division one level where I was at, at Omaha, you know, you're, you're recruiting freshmen in high school and, you know, to take a, a 13, 14 year old kid and you're trying to project four years from now before they even graduate high school. So really it's a five year process yeah. before you're even going to have those kids. Um, so the, the recruiting is, is a big thing. I mean, at the college level, you, you've got to, you've got to find the players that you feel fit your system that, um, uh, can do the things that you want them to do that you feel can develop. Uh, and at the high school level, you know, you see the kids that are coming up, you know, in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, where those kids are. You have an idea. You can see athleticism already. You can see skills, skill set. What can they do? Uh, and then they get into high school and you have a pretty good idea. You have a, a deeper influence on your, in your feeder program, your coaches. You know, you kind of coach those coaches. Here's what, uh, what I'd like to see them do. Here's how I'd like to see them do that. So they can come prepared already for what you want to do mm-hmm. and the concepts that you have. At the college level, a lot of those kids come from different systems and they're probably going to play in for you. And whether it's, you know, whether they're a zone team in high school coming to play man to man or they're a man to man team in high school and they're coming to a program that plays zone or they're a motion offensive team coming to a team that runs a lot of set calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of them are probably going to play a different position than they play in high school. Yeah. So those are some of the things that are different. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking about, developing those relationships with your uh feeder team kids but sometimes especially if you get into a an urban area here like like omaha uh that stuff can change awful quickly as well you know you you, you think a kid is coming and then well you know i decided to open enroll at school x or whatever it may be you know yeah and and you know how much um how much of a an effect has the aau stuff had on uh, you know, first high school, and now you're recruiting of kids, even at the NAIA level. Yeah, and I was I was fortunate when I was coaching high school too that um, Bob Bestian and I actually started a, an AAU program in the Sioux City area for kids. You know, just um, we'd, we'd have tryouts, we'd have as many kids showed up, we'd have that many teams, and we'd try and find people to help us coach and stuff like that. But I think the the AAU has changed things. I think especially probably over the last 10 to 15 years, you're starting to see the end result of that now where more and more players are playing in the summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, 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 Negative, I think, sometimes is that whether it's basketball or volleyball or soccer or whatever sport it is, kids have a tendency more now to specialize because, you know, they're thinking if I if I just do this, I can get a college scholarship and those kind of things and not realizing that the full ride, you know, the full ride college scholarships are few and far between. If you're at at the division one level, if you're a fully funded program you know, you're going on a full ride scholarship to play basketball at the division two level and down, you know, most of those are partial scholarships. You know, there, there are certain kids that obviously that the coaches at the division two level will offer full rides to, but a lot of those are partials where you're still going to have to come up with some money. And so I think sometimes that the AAU stuff gets in parents' heads and, and players' heads, and it's like automatically I'm going to get a full-ride scholarship, and then they go and the packages that are put together 
you know, still showing that they have to pay some money. It surprises them a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, you're really good AU coaches, obviously, are telling kids, hey, here's what's happening, here's what's going to happen, here's how the recruiting process goes. And so you hope that, that kids do that. And we're fortunate, fortunate enough in this area to have some really good – and not only high school coaches, but a lot of those high school coaches are also coaching for club teams here in the Omaha area, which really helps. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking about getting in on the 2021 class. You know, how much has, has that even changed? Uh, you know, like like right now, um, it's late December. Are you still recruiting kids that are seniors for this year, or is your recruitment pretty well wrapped up? No, no, we're still re- we're still recruiting because most most NAI schools have a certain number, yeah, that they want you to you know a certain number of, of student athletes mm-hmm. they want you to bring in in every sport, mm-hmm. and you know the the scholarship amounts vary and things like that. But no, I'm definitely and I'm gonna put a plug in right now. I'm definitely still recruiting 2020 <laughs> seniors. Uh, you know, I'm trying to find. I've got you know I'm still recruiting kids, but I'll probably need to need to find uh, at least two more, if not three more, in uh-huh. the 2020 class, okay. um, you know, position-wise. We're like everybody else. And when you're, whether I was at UNO or Briarcliff or College of St. Mary, you start with point guards and post players. Yep. And, you know, I hate to say this, but from my, and this is just my experience, it isn't always true, but wing players kind of come a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a lot of kids that can play the wing, but a true point guard and a true uh, big, and, and every program has a different style they're looking for, a point sure. guard and a, and a post player, but uh, those are those are the key pieces that everybody looks for. Yeah. Well, just one thing I've noticed is, you know, you would get kids that, you know, would commit as a junior, let's say if they're going to a Division One school or that type of thing. What I've noticed, and maybe it's just the social media age of things, but you'll have kids that'll commit to NAIA schools in June or July before their senior year even starts, you know, or right after the summer viewing period at the end of July, which is a lot earlier than I ever remember kids committing. Is that just me or is that accurate? Well, I think if you go back, to when you were when, like when you were at Briar Cliff, there wasn't the AAU basketball in the summer. Yeah. So so a lot of those kids would wait it out. But now with all the AAU basketball, you know, and as coaches, we can go, we go to a tournament, and we there's too many too many games, too many teams, and too many players to see everybody. Yeah. And and you go, and you just hope that you know you're watching one game and another kid jumps out at you but i think it is happening sooner because a lot of these kids recognize okay i've been playing in the summer now for three years Mm -hmm. the the coaches that are recruiting me are nai level coaches that are truly recruiting me and and if kids are real with themselves and parents are real with the situation you know there might be a division two uh program that has sent you a questionnaire or has sent you a letter or something like that, or maybe has talked to you once. But now I think kids realize that, you know, NAI basketball is uh, really good, especially in the GPAC. Um, And I think I've always said, you know, if you take the best teams uh, in the NAI level, they've got deep, all of them have division two caliber players on their team. Mm -hmm. If you take the best division two programs, they've got division one level 
players on their team. And if you take the best Division One teams, they got the best players in the country on their teams. Yeah. So I think that each each level has kids that could play at a at a, maybe a higher level, but like at the NAI level, there's no there's no mandatory summer workouts. Mm-hmm. You know, there's um, you know you can't start practice until. You can have workouts without a basketball, mm-hmm. you know, your conditioning workouts and weight workouts in the in the fall, but you don't start practice till probably the end of September, beginning of October. Yeah. And at the Division One level, you've got five weeks in the summer that is mandatory that you're there. You've got your, um, I don't know, five weeks or six weeks it is in the in the spring. You've got your preseason workouts. They increase that number from four hours to I think eight hours now or whatever it is, mm-hmm. six hours and, and eight something. So there's a lot of different reasons kids choose to go to maybe a smaller school. Division two, same thing. There's no mandatory summer workouts. Yeah. So so some kids want that. Yep. Other kids, you know, want to play at the highest level they can they can play at. And if they go and they're on the team, they feel good about it. Just go where where it feels right for you. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, speaking of the, the, the level of play, you know, you, you inherited a, a, a situation which, you know, you know, it's kind of an uphill battle, uh, to, to start out with. And, and I think you've made, uh, tremendous strides in the last year and a half. I really, I really like everything that you've done so far there at, at St. Mary's, um, uh, but like you said, you know, the GPAC is far and away. It is the SEC of NAIA women's basketball, you know, uh, you know, for those folks that are unfamiliar with, with the GPAC. Um, but as you, as you took over the job, you know, a year and a half going on almost two years ago, um, you know, what was kind of your strategy in this, in this, for lack of a better way of saying it, it was a pretty big rebuild uh, to, to try and, and not only, you know, put things together on the court, but also put some things together off the court as well. You know, how did you kind of come into that? Did you have a plan? Uh, was it, it was an exact plan and I'm, I'm going to go from A to B to C to D or whatever, maybe, or was it, well, I, you know, I've got a pretty good idea, but I'm going to keep it flexible here. You know, what was kind of your thought process for those coaches that, uh, are, are taking over a tough situation, you know, just kind of help, you know, describe that, what you went through there or what you're, yeah. what you're working on. Well, first of all, thanks for the kind words. I appreciate uh, you recognizing that we're working hard here, and and it's it was a rebuild, and you know it's just a situation where um, you know you're trying to find a way to uh, help the program on and off the court, and I think the biggest thing when I took over here and what we wanted to do was first of all we had a number of kids from a, you know a flight away meaning we had four kids from Nevada, California, and Arizona, Texas, three from Florida. You know, and I think in this area, when you look at the, the better teams in our conference and you look at the top teams and say the KCAC or the Heart of America Conference, or, um, you know, whatever conference it is, most teams have the majority of their players from one to two to maybe three hours away from that city. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was number one for me in the recruiting process. I wanted to to bring in kids that were more local, uh, just because I felt like the connection to the the college community to our school would be better because they're they're more local. They understand it better. They're more Midwest. They get those kind of things. 
uh, I also think that, you know, trying to find um, the, the kids get a little bit longer uh, was, was a big issue for us this past year. And I think we definitely uh, accomplished that with the kids we've signed so far and the better seniors this year. Um, but I think the, the whole thing is, is if you're going to compete in a, in a conference like the GPAC, you want your players, you want your uh, parents, you want the college community, and then the community of the, of the city you're in to all be bought into what you're trying to do. And you can do it with kids that are a flight of way. But I, but I feel personally that, you know, it, it needed to flip. So we had three local kids when I took the job. One from, uh, uh, really, it's all three of them here from, from Omaha. And, you know, we had 12, 12 players from, you know, seven hours or more away. Mm-hmm. And, and so trying to get those, recruit more locally was definitely number one in my book. I still think you can have kids from further away, but it needs to be instead of three local, 12, seven or more hours away, it needs to be 12 local and three Yep. seven or more hours away. Yep. And so that was a big push for, for us in the recruiting process. And then and trying to find kids that, that really enjoyed uh, playing the game, that were bought into being uh, good students on campus, good leaders on campus, uh, you know, have kind of that servant attitude. Uh, not the kids that, that we had uh, before weren't, but, you know, it's just a lot. It's just a lot different when you're, you know, if you're from Nevada or California or Arizona, to really be invested in that school versus the kids that that school is right in their backyard. Yep, that was that was the word I was thinking was was investment. You know, yep. Yeah, and I think that's that's the other part with our with our players. I, I think our players care um, about what we're trying to do, but what we're trying to do is take it to another level and get them to invest in the program uh, and really be. Um, really be involved and in, in what we're trying to do on and off the court and we're definitely getting there uh, I think our, our seniors have have seen some successes uh, in the work that they put in uh, I have one player in particular that uh, kind of joked with her that she probably has put in more time in the off season this past summer than she had the three previous summers and she said yeah I have yeah and and I think that's that's a big thing. That's the other thing. If you can recruit more kids locally, like I think of, of again, you know, you take a Morningside or Concordia or Midland or Hastings, because so many of those kids are within an hour to two hours away from those those their college campuses. Having them come back for open gyms in the summer is easier. Yep. You know, when you only have three kids locally you know, trying to get them to come back and, and, you know, trying to get more than that to come back for open gyms. You just, they, they can't, yeah. you know, they're not going to drive seven hours for an open gym, uh, you know, or they're a flight away or whatever. So that's, that's part of it too. I think that the development of the program can, can take off more because those, you, you have the opportunity. It's like high school. They're, they're not mandatory. They're, I, I never require anything in the summer. I'm just hoping that the kids want to play enough that they'll come in in the summer when the options are given to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you looking for, you know, I, I think you kind of went into it a little bit. Um, were you looking for or are you looking for a, a particular mindset? I mean, anybody can identify 
hey, that kid's scoring 20 points. Well, you know, they're a good shooter or whatever. I mean, that's that's the simple part. But what are you looking for uh, with the intangibles as you're looking at kids? Well, like for me, I want to see, you know, how hard do they play uh, in, in transition? And, and for me, it's, it, it goes – it's not just do they get back on defense. I, when I watch – so, for instance, you know, we get on these recruiting sites, we get players all the time that send us videos – and one of the things I watch is, okay, let's say a player scores a basket. What are their first three to five steps the other direction like? Do they score the basket, take two walking steps, and then just start to jog? Or do they score and they immediately get turned around and are engaged in, okay, now i got to play defense? Yeah. It sounds, it sounds crazy, but I think you can tell a lot about a player from, from the basket to the top of the key after they make a shot. Mm-hmm. Or if, if they make a three, you know, from the three-point line to the timeline or the the half-court line, you know, what are they doing? It does, doesn't mean that the team necessarily is in pressure, but how are they reacting immediately after? And I like to, I like to see that. It, it seems like a little thing, but that's definitely something. Because I think you can tell how engaged a player is mm-hmm. uh, by watching that. Uh, obviously, you know, how hard they play, you know, does their motor run all the time? Do they make the effort to close out? Do they make the effort to be in a stance? Do they make the effort to uh, try to, to get in front? You're not going to keep somebody in front of you all the time, but is the effort constantly there? Like, are they competing to win the one-on-one battle when their player has the ball? Yeah. Are they, are they competing to win when they're on the offensive end to get a rebound? Mm-hmm. You know, those are the kind of things that I think all coaches at the college level look at, because like you said, identifying a kid that can make baskets that's pretty easy. Yeah. But then what, how, how do they treat their teammates? Do they high five their teammates? Are they pointing after, after they make a basket and somebody gave them assist? You know, are they, are they sprinting over to help their teammate up off the ground? You know, what are some of the intangible things that they do? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're, I think you're on the right track, my friend. I, well, I, I appreciate that. You know, I, you know, I, I, it's it's an easy drive for me to come down and watch you play, and I'll be down for more free tickets as the year goes along here. So I'm just giving yeah. you a heads up. So okay. <laughs> you're, you're on the, you're on the path, list, Marty. So you're good. <laughs> but uh, I, I like the kids that you've brought in so far, and and uh, you know you can tell uh, you, you you've got things moving in the right direction here. You know, uh, slowly but surely, day by day here. So. Um, we're going to transition a little bit here, Coach. We're going to jump into our Don Meyer quote of the day. Uh, the the goat of goats. Uh, yes. You know, um, the goat uh, Tom Brady did not have a great day today uh, from what I saw in the highlights. Uh, but, you know, the goat Joe Burrow had a tremendous day yesterday. So, uh, yeah, not bad. So, um, the Don Meyer quote of the day. It is foolish to expect a young man or woman to follow your advice and ignore your example. I that's that's a really good one. That is that is so true. I, I actually a Don Meyer story. I um, I was on the um, on the board for the uh, Iowa Basketball Coaches Association for a few years, and and Don Meyer came and talked at the IBCA clinic the one year and. And I had the privilege of being the one that picked him up and, and took him back to his hotel and things like that. And we get back to his hotel and, and he said, wait here a minute. And he went up and got a, a, 
uh, a book, one of his favorites. It was a John Wooden book, of course, yeah. and signed it, handed it to me and stuff just as a token of appreciation for whatever. And I think that's what you, the quote you just gave is exactly what he lived. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and he was very, very legendary for being very, very hard on his players, but he was harder on himself, you know, yeah. Ron, you know. Ron Ron Schultz of Prior Cliff as a men's coach said when they used to play as Liberty teams down at and Liberty used to be NAI, Ron said they would they would go out and they'd have one team in their game jerseys, another team with their warm-ups on, another team with pullover pennies on. And he said for like eight minutes, they would just scrimmage five on five on five. It was live, it was physical, and that was part of their pregame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how he, he wanted his teams to get ready. So yeah. that's uh, a pretty good deal. You, you know they made a movie. Um, it's called My Many Sons. And uh, it starred Judge Reinhold um, from Beverly Hills Cop. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he was Don Meyer. And, you know, I mean, it was... You know, obviously not a Hollywood blockbuster or anything like that, but they, you know, uh, some of his former players went in and and made a movie about his life, you know, and kind of the different experiences that he had and stuff. So um, it was it was it was pretty good. It was pretty good. You know, so when I was when I was a girls coach at North. Um, Andy Foster was uh, one of the coaches at Sioux City Healing, yep. and he played for Don Meyer. Yep. And, and Andy Andy's dad was wasn't around, and, and Don Meyer kind of took him under his wing. And the stories Andy used to tell were just were just crazy. I yeah. mean, he just how how much he, he he coached them hard, but he loved the heck out of them. And I think that's the that's the key to the whole thing. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, all right, Kirk, let's get into. Uh, you want to talk offense or defense first? It doesn't matter. It does. I always fancy myself as a defensive coach, but over the last probably three or four years, I've become convinced that you got to put the. It's it's an easier job trying to get kids to put the ball in the basket than to try and stop the other team. Okay. So, All right. Well, let's go with offense then. All right. So, um, one of the things that we that we talked about via text, uh, you know, you talked about how to play rather than running plays. Um, what are some things that you do in your philosophy to get your players to uh, just play instead of running plays? Well, we, we've kind of changed a little bit this year, but, uh, you know, when when I say motion for us, like most people think of motion, they go to the to Mike Krzyzewski at Duke and the, the J.J. Redick era, era where, you know, he was coming off double and triple screens and coming off uh, uh, – stag double and and triple staggers and and that kind of thing and that was motion offense well i think now um you know more and more the read and react has become kind of a basis for a lot of uh, a lot of what people do offensively with with rules for playing rather than like you said uh, running set calls so for instance you know for us uh if, if the, the ball is dribbled at you, you're going to cut toward the basket. If the ball is dribbled away from you, you're going to fill where the ball was. If you pass the ball, you're going to basket cut. Um, you know, those are just some of the layers. If you throw it to the post, you do what they call Laker cut. So whoever throws it to the post player is going to cut immediately to the basket past the post player trying to get the ball. So there's, there's rules of what you're doing when – 
whether it's a pass or a dribble at or, or a dribble away or, or an attack, whatever it is, and how the, how the people that are involved, how everybody's moving based on where the ball is. That's where you get the, the react part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can, you can run read and react. You can run two motion, true motion where you're setting screens. Um, and I think, you know, people still run flex. People still run continuity offenses. I don't think there's anything wrong with continuity offenses uh, whatsoever. It's just not something that, that for me personally, I like to do a lot. But I definitely think there's a time and a place for it. We actually have one in that we use, you know, if we get late game situation and we want to make sure that, you know, there's no question where people are going this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you're, you're ahead late or something like that. And you want to be a little more sure, but I think, uh, and then you run, obviously like anything, you have to run drills that, that, uh, complement that. But I think teaching kids that, you know, you don't have to go from point A to point B to point C, you know, if, if something happens, you know, you may make a pass from A to B, and then you skip C and D and go straight to E because the defense did something that allows you to do that. Yeah. Um, what I found in my in my time is, and one of my things, and you've probably seen this hundreds of times coaching also, Marty, is that what ends up happening is like inbounds plays. You teach players to run an inbounds play, and you know you're going to screen the screener. Well, the first person that cuts is wide open under the basket, but whoops, that's not the play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So we don't, we don't yeah. throw it there because we're supposed to throw it to somebody else. Yeah. And and that kind of thing. And I think sometimes that happens with set calls, too. Mm-hmm. Kids get so ingrained into, okay, I have to go from the slot, the, the lane line extended, and I have to go screen over to the other side. And then that person curls to the basket and I'm supposed to come up behind where you might go to screen that and the slip is there and you can dive backside and and that's part of it yeah. and coaches if, if, if you do that and you score a basket coaches are like oh that was great good job way to go way to read that but if you do it and you turn it over you hear coaches screaming run the play yeah <laughs> yep. you know, you're going to make mistakes either way yeah. And which way would you rather have them made? Somewhere where the the other team uh, may not know exactly where you're going, or you're you know, and it used to be called when I was in high school, which was a really long time ago. Used to be called a freelance offense. Yeah. You know, and now it's motion. Yeah. So. They they used to communicate that with uh, dots and dashes when you were in high school, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything was Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> that or smoke signals. There, yeah, I, I, I trust me. I'm old enough that we didn't have cable TV till I was like a junior or senior in high school. Oh wow! So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm that old. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. yeah. Um, um. What? Sorry, I got too many jokes running through my head about your age. So I'm, I'm going to try to just move on. That's all right. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be. I don't want to promote elderly abuse on a basketball coaching oh, uh, no, podcast here. So, <laughs> well, I got a fake shoulder and I got two fake knees now, so it's all good. Hey, don't worry about it, Darth. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, okay, let's let's get back on track here. Oh gosh, you know um, what? Uh, you know, you, you talked about drill work, and I, and I know the medium is is not perfect for this. But what are some things that you do to to teach those uh, read and react uh, concepts? You know uh, that 
you know, you can kind of describe here on the pod here. Again, I know it'd be easier if we had a camera set up and you could you could draw it all out or whatever. But uh, you know, what are what are some things that uh, you know you can describe here on the pod of of what you try to teach to, like I said, uh, have your players just play and not run plays. Yeah, and, and you know, the dribble drive is another offense right now that everybody's running in. It's kind of a mixture of a continuity and you know some some motion stuff. And and I went to a clinic this. Uh, this fall in September and listen to a guy talk. It was a Chris Oliver uh, was involved in the clinic and, and Mark Cassio was a guy running the clinic. And I was looking for something to kind of marry up read and react and motion and uh, dribble drive. And he kind of runs a four round one offense. He really runs a five out. Uh, he's got really good players, sure. but um, it, it's something as simple as like we do a, we do a two on, we start at two on zero. So, if you can imagine, there's a player at the lane line extended on each side, so top, you know beyond the top of the key, and, and we call those the slots. Uh-huh. And that's that's our that's our terminology for it. So you get a slot to slot pass, and let's say I'm on the right side with the ball, you're on the left side. I pass to you. I'm immediately. I'm not going to basket cut. I'm immediately immediately going to go to the corner, opposite where I opposite where I am. So you're so cut, you're cutting all the way through. Yep. I'm cutting all the way through, not even looking for the ball. Okay. And then the person I threw the ball to is is just getting downhill. They're just attacking downhill. So it kind of becomes, whether you call it a rub screen or a ghost screen or whatever you want to call it. So when I take off, you're immediately driving right behind me. So you X the two, and it kind of becomes a, a, an automatic screen, kind of like, you know, in football where you've like got a pick the, route. Yeah. the pick routes. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's what it becomes. So we do that. Um and then we added, uh, we start, we're trying to play through contact. So we did the same thing, but the person that we were passing the ball to, so I have the ball again on the right and you're on the left, mm-hmm. but you, I put a, I put a defender right on your outside hip. So it would be your left hip. So the minute you catch the ball, that person on your hip is just making contact with you the whole way down the lane as you're driving in, driving to the basket. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now you're having to play through that contact. Because you're probably going to have somebody trying to defend you as you drive that every time, anyway. Well, when I was playing, they just left me open, you know. So <laughs> just gapped you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like just ghosted you. Put put your defender right in the middle of the lane and said, "Just guard everybody else and let him shoot." It. The, the term ghosting applied to two things <laughs> for most of my high school experience. One of them was my basketball skills, and the other one was my dating skills. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, can, I can relate. So, yeah. So that's good. anyway, go ahead. Uh, no. Uh, so that's, you know, that's the initial. So you're doing it two on zero to get the, the downhill movement. And then you're doing it um, with that, with that defender already on your outside hip. We don't put them square up because I want them, I want them to have the success of going and, and playing and, and that kind of thing. And then, um, and then we, we advance it to two on two. So now we're putting, putting a player in the left corner or the right corner and then we're doing the same thing we just did up top but we've got a defender on that person in the right corner so now you're playing through that contact if that help defender steps over and puts their chest in front of you you're pitching it to the corner for the shot okay i see what it is yep yeah and if that if that second defender does not get their chest in front of you you're playing through that contact continuing through for your layup gotcha yeah. Okay. And and we use what what he calls a zero count, 
So, and we, we call it fighting for your feet. I, I really like that term. So, you know, you're, you're getting shit. Most people say getting shot ready, being a greedy receiver, those kind of things. We call it fighting for your feet. You're trying to get your feet set before the ball gets there. And, and so that, that person in the corner is fighting for their feet. If they catch it and they have a shot, they shoot it immediately. Mm-hmm. If they, if they catch it and they're getting a closeout, they're coming right back on an attack. Mm-hmm. So that that's the dribble drive part of it, mm-hmm. you know. So you got the read and react part where you pass across and go. You got the dribble drive where you come down, you pitch it, you don't have a shot, you attack the middle. But you're, you know, in dribble drive, it turns into a lot of dribble weave where you dribble over, flip it to the other person, they dribble, flip it over to the other person, and they're not. You you see a lot of it where they don't really dribble drive, they uh-huh. dribble weave. Yep. And, and I think that's part of it. So that's, that's just some of the stuff we do. And then we we try and allow our offense. Um, I spent more time on offense probably in our preseason this year than I ever have in a preseason ever in my life. Uh, I, I consider myself a defensive guy, but, you know, I just know that we have to score points in our league yeah. uh, to win. It's just really hard to hold teams in our league to you know, 55, 60 points. You've got to get to 75 yourself if you if you want to compete with the best teams in the conference. And so um, playing playing disadvantage things. So like in our transition game, um, we'll do three-on-one transition where we've got three people coming down. we got one going to the corner, one going to the wing, and a point guard coming down, and the point guard throws it ahead to the wing, and the wing either shoots it or there's a one more pass to the corner for a shot immediately. And so, and you only have one defender. You're trying to get the offense to get confidence, to gain confidence in what they're doing. Yep. So we'll do, we'll do that same thing in working our offensive stuff, uh, whether it's zone or whatever, uh, you know, we might go, we, we'll, we'll do five on four disadvantage with four defensive players and five offensive players. You know, we do that both as a defensive and an offensive drill. But again, by having the advantage, you're hoping that the offense can have success and see what you're doing is going to work. So, you know, having fewer defenders than you have offensive players should allow the offense to have success. And then, you know, and you can flip it around the other way, too. If you're working on a certain type of zone defense or whatever, only put three offensive players out there mm-hmm. and allow, allow that, you know, that defense, especially when you're first teaching it, to have a lot of success with the kids gain confidence in that. And that's, that's something that Jeff Donaldson, Brittany's dad, shared with me that he got from, from somebody, and, and I've used that uh, especially more this year. You know, mm-hmm. to allow that team to have whatever you're working on, have fewer numbers on the other side to allow that to have success. So your kids start believing in it more. In your, uh, how much, you know, a lot of it is the, you know, what most people call Mori ball. Are, are you working mid game at all off that dribble drive? Or are you telling your kids, look, we want, we want layups or threes unless it's at the end of the shot clock. You know, what's your philosophy uh, with that? Or are you just my saying, let's get a good shot? Well, my philosophy is this. If a kid if a kid can develop that mid-range game, I mean, if they've got bounce and, and they that's that's a shot that they have and I can see that they can shoot it, I'm not going to put any restrictions on them. Um, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a girl right now, uh, a point guard, and that the mid-range is a great shot for her. Mm-hmm. And so I'm never going to tell her no. Um, 
you know, Brittany Donaldson is somebody that uh, I wanted her to shoot mid-range shots. I had a girl, uh, Jackie Kalen, when I was at North, who was a two-time Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year um, at UNI, and she she lived with that mid-range shot. I mean, it was a really, really good shot for her, but she, you know, it's a shot that kids have to work on. They can't yeah. walk in the gym and shoot threes and layups and never shoot the mid-range, and you're going to say, okay, you can shoot that. Yeah. It's, it's something, but I'm not a, I'm not, I know the analytics say threes or layups, but, you know, I still think there's a place in the game for for that. I And, and I'm kind of old school that way a little bit, Yeah. but I'm I also understand there's a time and a place if a kid can shoot a little bit of a runner, I'm going to have them work on it so they can do that. And, you know, it used to be, okay, you're going to shoot a right-handed layup on the right side, you're going to shoot a left-handed layup on the left side, and that's the way it's going to be. And now you look at, you know, I call it the Steve Nash, the inside hand layup, yeah. you know, or, or you know, the Euro, whatever. I, I don't teach that a lot because I think kids have a hard enough time making just regular layups. <laughs> But, but it's, it's a viable shot for yeah. some people. Yeah. No. So I I like the mid range game. I think it's I always called that the separator. Yeah. Uh, because if you had that in your game and you had the three point shot, uh, you 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 were going to be really really hard to guard. Yeah. Especially in women's basketball. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. I'm still, and I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. You know, I think you let your you let your best players take the the shots that they're most comfortable with, and I and I know like I'm reading, uh, I, I got a book from my uh, from my stepmom, and um, for Christmas the I don't know if you've seen it Sprawl Ball, um, and I'm kind of I'm reading it right now. Basically, it's all about the analytics revolution and all this other stuff, uh-huh. and, and it's got pictures in it, so that helps me. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> A lot of there's a lot of pictures and they're in color too. So, um, uh, hey, some people are visual learners. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know they're talking about you know Curry and and I'm I'm only a cup you know a chapter and a half into it at this point. Um, but uh, I still believe there's a time and a place. You know, one of the things that's been talked about is the death of the post game. I still think there is a time and a place where you need a post up if the other team's on a six zero run. But you don't want to call timeout. Uh, let's slow the game down. Let's post up Susie, Mary, Becky, Pete, Frank, George, and let's get contact down there. The ball gets down there. There's three things that can happen, and two of them are good for us. And you know, let's get a good shot. Let's get fouled. Let's get to the to the free throw line. Let's shoot a couple free throws. You know, those type of things. I'm I'm kind of with you. I I understand the math. I understand the analytics of it. But I I don't. You know, I think it's unless you have three or four guys at your level that are at the skill level of the Curry, Durant, Clay Thompson, you know, that type of stuff, unless you are just so overwhelmingly talented uh, in multiple perimeter uh, positions, you've got to have other options other than just threes and layups. That, oh, that, that's my opinion. Well, and I think, I think you're 100% right. Like, our freshman post player, Claire Lewandowski, this year, you know, she played in a really good high school program at Lincoln Pius. Yep. And her, her role was as a defender and a rebounder. Yep. Uh, she came in, and, and I was excited for what she could bring. And we, we were playing her at the post. Well, you know, she had a girl in front of her that's a Division One post player at Pius. So, you know, they're not going to 
take a Division One post player out and put Claire in there. Um, but she's developed really well as as a post player inside for us, and yep. and I think that you know we can throw the ball into her and good things happen. And I mm-hmm. agree with you 100. percent I think I was just. You know, you think of, I'm an Iowa fan, obviously. I know you are, too. You got Luca Garza at Iowa, and I think I saw where in the Big Ten there's like seven traditional just big man post players uh, in the Big Ten this year, how they're kind of going back to that um, that post play. And, yep. and, you know, everything cycles back around. Sure. You know, everything cycles back around, uh, you know, from – bell bottoms to, to basketball it doesn't matter it, it comes back around one way or the other and i think you know so how do you how do you counter um these if you want to call them stretch fives or whatever yeah well counter make them guard make them guard the traditional postman yeah. who's got an up and under and a drop step and a dribble counter move yeah and and they're probably going to struggle to do that yeah you know, oh. So there's there's a lot of things that way you can look at with the with the post play and the mid range jump shot and yeah. and the old traditional things. Yep. What scares me is when you were thinking when you said bell bottoms, I was thinking bell bottoms. <laughs> now I, I don't know I don't know if you were looking at your senior picture or something like that. You know, with the with the big collar and the long hair, oh. and the big glasses. I had it all. Oh, delicious. Uh, yeah. I I, uh, I I have a couple of. Uh, you know, family portraits with my mom and my dad and, and my brother, uh, circa 1979 that will never see the light of day. If I have anything to say about it, yeah. you know, uh, oh, yeah. that was a, that was a, when they started wearing the, the choker, uh, necklaces, the, you know, and you had the big collars and the leisure suits and all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. those were the days, man. Those were the days. Yeah. My junior high days were the, the rolled up jeans, the stonewashed jeans, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, the, the suspenders worn at the side, like Jason Bateman and Michael J. Fox, you know, cool stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, oh yes, absolutely. I wish I could go back. Well, it's kind of, you know, there's, there's things I wish I did, would go back for. So, um, Let's talk a little defense here. Let's talk about defense and your philosophy. How do you build your team defensively? Well, um, you know, I, I've always traditionally been a man-to-man guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, I'm one of those guys that just feel like it, it just comes down to heart and effort. And, you know, we kind of use that. We call it the triple E's, effort, energy, and enthusiasm. And I think if you have those three things, you can be a great defensive player. But we, we spent – you know, we spend a lot of time on our man-to-man. Uh, we've changed some things philosophically this year in what we do. Um, for instance, we, we're trying to push everything left this year. You know, it used to be traditionally, no matter what, you push everything down. You know, it was never give up baseline. Then, you know, you're always forcing it to the middle. And then it was force everything down. Mm-hmm. You know, you still didn't want to give up the baseline. You didn't want somebody turning the corner, but you're trying yeah. to force everything to the outside and keep it on one side of the floor. And then, you know, a lot of that is predicated on what you have. And and so, like, next year we have a – I was fortunate enough to get a 6-3 – I'm going to call her stretch 4-5 uh, – signed out of Sistan, South Dakota. And the girl's pretty athletic. So, you know, we may change again next year and force everything in the middle into her, yeah. you know, at 6'3". But um, we just decided this year uh, to try and simplify things for our team uh, and not have to worry so much about scout stuff. Um, you know, we're just trying to make everything go go to the 
the offense team's left. So if the ball is on the if the ball is on the face of the basket, the right wing, uh, we're we're lined up square with the person, but we're definitely cheated toward the baseline side. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to force them to the nail, mm-hmm. you know, right to the middle of the free throw line. You know, we don't want to, again, we don't want to turn the corner and, and get a drive to the rim, but we're going to try and force them to the, to the nail. And if they're up top, we're going to try and square it up a little bit more. And we're definitely don't want a straight line drive, right. And if they're on the, if they're on face in the basket, the, the left side, uh, we're going to be a little higher and we're going to force them down to the baseline. We, we don't, we, we use the term, we're going to force them down instead of forcing them baseline. Mm-hmm. Cause I think kids, kids in high school are told, don't give up baseline, don't give up baseline, don't give up baseline. And if you tell a kid, we're going to force the ball baseline, that doesn't register. But if you say we're going to force it down yeah. to the corner or down, you know, they, they trust that concept a little bit more. So we, we try and do that. We, I mean, we'll still adjust if we've got a, if we feel we have a player on another team that is just all left-handed, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll try and flip it. But I think sometimes scouting reports, you know, you don't have enough time from game to game to, you know, kids are so used to, and, and you can't blame them. You ingrain, you ingrain into them, no right-hand drives, no right-hand drives, no right-hand drives. And then you get a kid that is definitely left-handed. It's tough to flip that switch. So yeah. you got to think, okay, is the number of times that player catches the ball and going to have an opportunity to use their strong hand, does that outweigh just keeping it simple and still continuing to force them a certain direction? Um, so I think that's important. You know, post players definitely most want to go to their left shoulder, so we're going to really hug that side um, as much as we can. And and then it's, it's the health defensive concepts. And I think the one that's probably lost more than any other, like everybody will drill one-on-one. They'll drill – help defense when the ball is driven but how much is is help the helper drill so i step over and are you stepping then you know are you stepping down i'm stepping over to stop the ball then are you stepping down to get in front of my player who's on the weak side block or in the middle of the lane i think help the helper defense probably needs to be drilled at at least as much if not more than just help defense when somebody drives it yeah um I had a really good question. Now I forgot to write it down. So right. I'm, a, come back to it. I'm probably when, when you hang up is when it'll come back. Um, it was a great question too. And, and then oh, I, sure. I lost it. Oh, uh, double the post straight up three quarter bottom side. How do you play your post? You know, and again, I know it's a little bit different, you know, at most you're going to have one post player down there anymore. Whereas, 10, 10 years ago, you'd probably have two in a lot of places, that type of thing. But, you know, how do you, you know, you talked about guarding the perimeter. How, how are you guarding if you got somebody on the block? Well, I think a lot of it depends on how your matchup is. Um, I, I think if you're, if you're a little undersized, I think you almost have to go double it, mm-hmm. um, which, which we, you know, we have in, obviously. I think um, with, with Claire being a little bit longer, um, and then we have another post player that's about five nine. Uh, you know, we, we really need to send help a little bit more, probably just just for length reasons. Not that she doesn't work hard or isn't physical. Sure. Um, but I got something speaking of Don Meyer uh, from Andy uh, Foster Heeland, and he shared this with me. And we try and do this a little bit more now. But if you know, the old traditional is if the ball goes to the wing, 
your three-quarter front on the high side. When it's passed to the baseline, you X out or whatever you want to call it in front of the post player and then get on the low side. Mm-hmm. He said he said that, that uh, Coach Meyer, uh, they would always play the wing and the corner on the low side. And the, and the reasoning for it, you know, obviously kids need, need reasons. Uh, two reasons. Most players don't want to go to their right shoulder. So if they catch it, they're uncomfortable turning to their right shoulder and using their left hand. Yeah. And then the other thing is, is you think about where help comes from. If you're on the three-quarter front on the wing and that ball is passed to the baseline side, that's that's a much tougher help because you've got to come underneath of that to help Yeah. versus, versus if you're playing three-quarter front on the low side and the ball is passed more to the middle of the lane, that's much easier help coming across. Yep. Yep. Than, than the other way. Mm-hmm. So we, we've done a little bit of everything. Um, a lot of it's going to depend on personnel that we have, the players that we have. Uh, I like doubling the post either, A, to get the ball out of a really good post player's hands, or if you have a post player that's prone to turnovers, even if they're not, you know, just a dominant post player, mm-hmm. doubling, doubling just to increase the chances of a turnover. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we'll, we'll, we'll double from, We'll double from the, the opposite slot up top, whoever's guarding that mm-hmm. on a post entry, or we'll double if there's two posts from the post. It just it yeah. just depends. We have different calls for that. Post to post, yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, give me your favorite rebounding drill. My favorite rebounding drill would mm-hmm. have to be we we use a bubble once in a while. We don't use it all the time. We use use the bubble once in a while. Um, we do a circle rebounding drill that I really like, uh, especially if you're a zone team. I think it's a really good one. So it's a three-on-three rebounding drill, and, and uh, everybody out there's probably done this in some form. But you have the offensive team or the defensive team on the block about halfway up the lane and then on the other block. Mm-hmm. And they are going one direction. So maybe they're going clockwise, and they're defensive sliding. Yeah. So they defensive slide from the – the block to that spot in the middle of the lane, you know, up toward the free throw line. We use the nail a lot. So they slide defensive slide from the block to the nail, from the nail to the block, from block to block. All three of them are going. Yeah. Then they're going clockwise. Then the three offensive players are on the outside and they're going counterclockwise. I got this drill watching the Doug Bruno's practice at DePaul when my daughter was going to school there. Mm-hmm. And, and the offensive players go the opposite direction around the outside okay and then then when the shot is taken the three defensive players are you know a lot of times they're going to be caught in between two players and they have to find the one to box out based on where their teammates are because those offensive players are constantly moving where if you take the offensive players and and have them stationary great way to start it you know start with just a straight three-on-three box out drill yeah and then then have the defenders move and then have both the defenders and the offensive players move. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, then trying to find that person, we, we call it tag rather than box out anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, to us, because so many threes are taken, it is so hard to turn and box a body out on the perimeter. Yep. That's a really tough thing to do. So we just call it tag. And we tell our kids, if you're guarding a perimeter player, and a shot goes up, we want you to go and put a forearm on them to find them, but track the ball as you're doing that 
and then release when the ball hits the rim so you know where it's going. Yep. And then, and then we always say pursue with two. Yep. You know, trying to grab everything with two hands. Yep. We used to, I used to tell my kids, you know, hey, long shots, and they would respond back, and they could all do this in their sleep. <laughs> I'd yeah. say long shots, and they'd say long rebounds. Yeah, yeah. you know, or and that, and that, and that was from one side going to the other side. Yeah, and and uh, you know, like I said, they'll they'll wake up with the bed sweats, you know, at some point, you know, <laughs> thinking of that. So, uh, yeah, I I really like the circle rebound drill. I think that's a that's a good one for finding people. Like I said, starting at just three on three stationary, and then going to you know three on three where the defense moves one direction and then going three on three where the defense moves one direction offense moves the other how, how much how much time do you guys spend on rebounding in practice we we don't spend probably enough time mm-hmm. um it's something i would like to do more of i'm more of a I, i'm more of a uh, you know we're going to do it drill work and we're going to talk about it so you know yeah. shot goes up we're, we're all the coaches are generally yelling tag 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 you know and just trying to get that concept in their mind or go get it or whatever we say but now we're trying to use the concept of tag so if a shot goes up in practice you know somebody's yelling tag or box out or whatever whatever term they want to use we really don't care as long as the concept is we got to find a body yeah uh, i mean we're we'll probably like you know we're getting ready we just came back tonight from uh, break and you know we'll do rebounding drill tomorrow uh, morning and then we'll probably do another one tomorrow night when we practice um, and then we'll we'll do it again on on Wednesday once we get into season probably probably twice a week um, you know on Monday practice we usually use some type of a rebound drill and on Thursdays practice yeah. uh, a, a rebound drill you know it won't last for more than maybe five minutes or something like that but just enough to kind of reemphasize it yeah. Um, and by the way, for our listeners, if if you want to, you know, if you want to go in and see a practice, Kirk, you've always been so accommodating for me to come in and watch a practice and stuff. Um, but you're you're the type of guy, you know, if you want to come in and watch, come on in, right? Oh, absolutely. Because it, anything you see us do in practice, you've probably seen it at another practice at some point. Because <laughs> I've stolen pretty much everything that uh, that we do from somebody else. Yep. Uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, I used to go to practice at Morningside Briarcliff all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now I can, here I can go anywhere and, you know, I can go to Nebraska and, and catch a practice. Their staff is always really accommodating that way. But, yeah, anybody ever wants to come to a practice, just shoot me a call. And the only reason you need to shoot me a call or an email or, or anything is just to make sure our practice time hasn't changed. Yep. Uh, if you walk in, the, you know we're going to practice on a certain day and you walk in the door, more power to you. Yep. Um, how do you uh, how do you establish roles? Talk about your process of establishing roles, sitting down with kids. What what do you talk about with them? How important your 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 meeting process is? How that works? You know, uh, just kind of go just kind of go through that. You know, um, because you're in a situation like like you said when you're in high school. Well. Everybody knew from sixth grade on that Jackie Kalen was going to be the best player in that group, and there was no, not a ton of need for role definition per se in that situation. But when you're bringing in a kid from Pius, a kid from Bennington, a kid from Millard South, some kid from uh, ten hours away, kids that have already been there, that's a process, you know. And 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 how do you how do you go through that? Well, I think we try and meet with the, our. I try and meet. Um, I don't have a full time assistant. 
And, and so, you know, a lot of it comes back to me, which is fine. I, I feel I should meet with them anyway, mm-hmm. but we're going to, I'm going to meet with them. I think I met with every kid at least four times individually first semester. It just, it's still, you know, you don't have time to do it as often as you would like. You know, if you've got assistant coaches that are there all the time, then you can probably meet with them more often. But I, at least once a month, I try and bring them in. And, and a lot of those meetings are more relationship-based. I try and talk to them a lot more about, you know, how their family is, you know, how their boyfriend's doing, um, how school is going, that kind of thing. But I'll also just kind of give them the, hey, we need more of this out of you or um, – I'd like to see you try this. I need you to work a little harder in practice. I need you to rebound more, whatever the case might be. Um, and then, you know, try and encourage them to do those things that will give them an opportunity maybe to play a little bit more, but then also get them to understand that we have X number of players at this position. Uh, here's where you're at right now. That doesn't mean you're locked into that role forever, mm-hmm. but for right now we need you to be in this position. And you just need to keep working and, and show me that you can move up the, you know, move up the ladder a little bit. And mm-hmm. I, I think the biggest thing is they probably don't understand it now. Kids, kids are looking for honesty. Yeah. More than anything. If you tell them one thing, but then it doesn't happen, you, you lose their trust and you're going to lose them. And, but five years down the road after they graduate, they're going to really appreciate you being honest with them. Yeah. You know, more yeah. so than they probably do now. And, and, I have an open door policy with them coming in, uh, kind of the Brad Stevens philosophy. I tell them all the time, you're more than welcome to come in to me to talk about playing time. But if you come in to talk to me about playing time, be prepared to hear the truth. Yeah. And I think sometimes they don't come in and talk about playing time because deep down, I think they know where they're at. Yeah. They want affirmation that maybe they're a little better than that. And they don't want to come in and talk to you because they know you're going to tell them exactly what they already know. Yeah. Deep, deep within their soul, they know yeah. that this is yeah. this is where I rank. This is where I, you know, this is where I'm I'm, I'm hanging out at, or whatever. This is where I, I fall into the chart of things, you know. So, um, yeah, I like that. I like that. And then, you know, how how do you how do you work with your your incoming kids? Now, granted, you've only had one class to, to do that with, is it, is it the same type of thing? Do you spend a little bit more time with them adjusting, you know, for, to the, to the high school or to, I'm sorry, to the college situation, you know, as a high school coach, would you spend a little bit more time with an incoming freshman to make sure that they're adjusting to the high school? Okay. You know, that type of thing, or, or is it pretty standard across the board? I, I think it's pretty standard. I think, it, you know, you always want to continue to have those, um, little meetings with them and make sure they understand where they're at. The, the good thing about high school, about the high school classes is, you know, when they come in as freshmen and they're, and they're playing basketball, in most cases, there's probably 10 to 15 of them mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Where at the college level, maybe it's only going to be four or five, six, maybe seven in a particular class. Um, so I think they're, they're kind of naturally, flows into that. Plus I think the other thing is at the high school level, those kids are all going to high school games. Yeah. So they're they're seeing what it's about ahead of time. I'm not sure all those high it'd be interesting to me to find out how many high school kids actually went to or go to college games. Especially those kids that, you know, see themselves as a D two or a D one player. How many of them ever actually went to an NAI game and watched 
or, or the or the NAI National Tournament up in Sioux City. Yeah, I watched how good the competition is, and you know, at that level. Yeah, you know, and I think so. That's part of it. I think those kids in high school have already been exposed to you and your program through youth camps and things like that um, prior to getting there. So they have a pretty good idea. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it is. It is amazing, and and, I, and again, I know that your conference is, like I said earlier in the pod, you know, it's the SEC of uh, NAIA women's basketball. I mean, it's just uh-huh. your your eighth best team most years is a top twenty five team in the country, you know, or or borderline top twenty five team, you know. Um, yeah. So they think, well, it's just. Midland or it's just College of St. Mary's or whatever that, you know, whatever, you know, fill in school X. Um, they don't understand how good you have to be to be successful at that level. You know, no, I mean, you take a perfect example. Concordia goes to Creighton for an exhibition game and loses by two in double overtime. Yeah. You know, and Creighton's a pretty good, pretty good division one basketball team. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and that's, that's what you're dealing with now they're you know they're they're really really good no doubt but but you know you're, you're talking about teams across the board in our league and i've always said and, and you saw it too probably when you were at briar cliff i don't know if it was a strong you know one through eight nine at that time but you're talking about our, our eighth place team the team that finishes an eighth could probably go to the national tournament and win a first round game yeah i truly believe that yep but you know, that's just the way it goes. And right now we've got six teams in the top 15 and one still receiving votes. So it just doesn't get any easier for sure. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, hey, uh, social media contacts for College of St. Mary's. You know, plug your program a little bit here, Kirk. Okay. We've got um, our, our Twitter account is at, um, at CSM Flames WBB. Uh, CSM is capitalized, F is capitalized, WBB is capitalized. Um, you can go online at csmflames.com to get our uh, information from our website. And um, csm.edu is the school's website. Uh, I think uh, one thing I do want to say is I think everybody looks at College of St. Mary as a nursing school. And nursing is our number one major. We are health sciences are our top majors, but we have 32 majors. You can major in psychology, uh, business. Um, we've got doctorate programs in physical therapy. We've got doctorate programs in occupational therapy. So College of St. Mary is a, is a great institution. That's one of the things that I really like about it. The, the, you know, you've got a small college that's very friendly in a city of almost a million people. So you've got the best of both worlds. Yeah. Here's, here's the real question. Do they have a history major? They do. Do education, they? Education, especially elementary education, uh, early childhood education with an inclusive, uh, inclusive early childhood education is really good. Education majors, uh, education is a strong program for us. And then you can, you have, um, uh, emphasis that you can get whether it's english or or history or whatever yeah. so because history yeah. that's where the big bucks are at 
Hey, I, I love history. I was going to major in history, but I was told uh, you're going to have a really hard time finding a job, become an elementary education major, and you'll get a job for sure. So I switched and went LNPE. So hey. that's, that's what I did. You got to dress a lot more comfortably than I ever get to dress. So, but yeah, yeah, I'm that guy, Marty. I'm that guy that if I'm traveling and there's a market and you see the sign that says historic marker two miles, I'm pulling over reading the thing. Oh. <laughs> I do that to my wife, and it drives her nuts. So, yeah, mine too. Um, you know, I uh, I refuse to to uh, teach a uh, to teach a core or teach a a subject that doesn't have a television network named after it. You know, there you go. There, that's, there you go. That's about one third of my lesson plans right there. So <laughs> that's yeah. it. Even that's if good. it's even if it's swamp people, you know, hey. Uh, <laughs> There's got to be something. There's got to be something there. So, oh, well, hey, Kirk, thanks so much com- for for coming on. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I did. I hope. Uh, I hope there's something there. If I give, if somebody can pick up one thing out of all that garbage that I just threw out there, uh, that can help their their program or help them in some way. That's what it's all about. That's what you hope when you get a clinic or, or listen to things. You just want one thing that maybe can help, whether it's a phrase or a drill or whatever. So I hope and anybody wants to ever come to a practice, uh, you can just reach out to me. Go to our website at csmflames.com, and you can find my email address on there. Or if they want to contact you or DM me, that's fine. Yep. Well, we've known each other a long time. We've talked hoops many, many times and i got i got two pages worth of stuff written down here as we were as we were yapping here so you know i got i got good stuff out of it so you know if 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 somebody else didn't get something out of it you know that's on them because there was a lot of good stuff that we talked about here so well mission accomplished then absolutely so hold the line here real quick i gotta wrap up um Folks, hey, you know, Kirk Walker, College of St. Mary's, thanks so much for coming on here. Uh, we also, uh, as always, want to thank COSAC Chiropractic for sponsoring the pod. Uh, like I said, if you need any chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Uh, again, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Uh, download, rate, and review if you're on SoundCloud, if you're on iTunes. And like I said, if you have any questions, comments, anything you want us to talk about here, email us a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. It's been a privilege and a pleasure to have Kirk Walker, the head women's basketball coach at the College of St. Mary's out of Omaha on this week's interview podcast. Uh, Coaches, I know you got a lot of good stuff out of this here. So uh, wish everybody luck coming out of the holiday break. And as always, coaches, be sure to hone your craft one day at a time.